0: Just after we recorded today, and just as I was editing all this together, the sad news came of the passing of Joel Schumacher, the director known for a huge body of work from films such as The Lost Boys and St. Elmo's Fire, towards the start of his career, through to the satire of Falling Down, The Client, A Time to Kill, 8mm Phone Booth, a massive body of work, not just to be remembered for those two Batman films. So he passed away today, June the 22nd, 2020, age of 80, having fought a battle with cancer. He will be remembered through the films and the joy that they brought us.
1: Hello and welcome to The Film File, the film show for film geeks by film geeks who are now getting slightly bored of being film geeks in the house and are <laughs> looking to get out, that kind of a show. I'm Lee Ford. I'm Andy Beacon. How are we doing, Andy?
0: It's, be, it's been another film watching. I think it beat me record from last week. What was it last week, 14 or 15 films?
1: Blimey, I think there's some kind of... Uh, if there was only some book which, which told you about record breakers, <laughs> you would be and in there.
0: Done, I've done 16 over this past week. So oh I've gone one more. Um, one, of, one of the ones which I just want to mention is uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's latest one, which landed on Amazon this week, 7,500. Have you heard about it?
1: I've not heard about this. It kind of um, slipped underneath the radar without giving away what the plot's about. And I do like Levitt's a lot, so I'm, I'm surprised oh, I missed he's this. he's
0: a marvellous, marvellous presence in films. He puts so much into it. I mean, I, I love all his stuff that he does, including his like, side projects of his uh, hit record, Joe. Um, little mini things that he gets like contributions from people to create for creativity within industry or writing or whatever. He's such such a gem on this planet. Um, but seventy five hundred, he plays a pilot on a flight leaving Germany. that the flight comes under hijacking from a group of terrorists.
1: It sounds so far kind of like we're in uh, airport territory, but I know we're more than that.
0: Story-wise, very generic. And if it wasn't for the way that it's presented and the cast, it would have just been an average film. But whereas most other hijacking films focus on the whole plane, it goes inside, outside, and then it cuts to like the control tower and like does a lot of things backwards and forwards around, this is a single set in the cabin of the plane. So for the whole just under 90 minutes of the runtime, which the action plays out almost in real time, you are just focusing on the flight crew and the one or two hijackers who managed to get into the cabin
1: Mm, Sounds interesting the
0: intensity of such a closed space and like the camera just like panning left and right between anyone who's talking you've got the extra aspect of joseph it's a german run flight so a lot of people are talking in german and joseph gordon levitt's Character can't speak German, so he has to speak in English. So there's a lot of broken English. And then you've got the terrorist talking in Turkish as well for different language complications. It's compelling. It's intense. And Joseph Gordon-Levitt holds the whole film. He is absolutely amazing. I, I, it's, it's, a, it's not a brilliant film, but like I say, it would have been an average film, but it's lifted to an above average to, I'd say, a 7 out of 10 kind of film.
1: Do you think because it's a release to Netflix or a release to Amazon in this case, that it's got, it will garner more attention than it would have if it had been a cinema release?
0: Yeah, I think it... I mean, we, we've seen like even films as great as Premium Rush, uh, the Joseph Gordon-Levitt film. That was an utter joy, that film, but it didn't find an audience at the cinema because as great an actor as he is, he's not got that much of a following for the general public. But on your streaming services is where his films tend to gain momentum and he's got a real big online culture. And I think that, I mean, I've I've seen loads of people this weekend who've marked that they've watched this film and everyone's given it good reviews. And I think, like you say, because it's gone straight to the streaming, this is where it will thrive. It's what would have just been a TV movie, but it's lifted something more. And it's well worth checking out. Get it checked out. It's on Amazon Prime at the moment.
1: I will do that. I will do that. I've been, I've been hitting Amazon Prime. Well, not a lot. I've I've done kind of the opposite. I've really retreated away from from watching a lot. Which for, for somebody who's a film and TV reviewer, isn't isn't the best standard to, to be setting. But um, I what I have been doing. I've done a mega mega catch up with uh, Walking Dead, and it was. I know a lot of people wrote. Walking Dead off, uh, about sort of the seven or eight seasons. I was about two seasons behind. I think it was uh, season nine that I that I just not watched. It was the start with the Whisperers. I've been really enthralled by it. It's, it's kind of got back on track. I know a lot of people say in season 10 is one of the best ones, and so far, thoroughly enjoying where they've gone with the characters and thoroughly enjoying the world that we're in to some extent. And spoiler but it has probably been three years now, not having Rick in it as, as elevated, supporting characters into lead roles and made it a much more interesting world. And uh, I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying Walking Dead. And I've really been hit. I mean, been doing two, three episodes a night just to, just to catch up. originally started with that exercise. We've all done it. I had so much on my Sky Plus that I was going, I've got to get through this. <laughs> there are certain shows I knew I would never watch again. But I thought, you know, I've been loyal to Walking Dead. I'll give it a go. And so I went through and and, and did Walking Dead, and thoroughly enjoying it, and glad I stuck with it. Um, so highly recommend um, series nine and ten for those who've not seen it.
0: I might, I might, because I, I am about three or four seasons behind, so I'm, I might do the same at some point.
1: It's worth it. It's worth hanging in. And a friend yeah. of mine has just started on Fear, Fear the Walking Dead, and uh, I, that's uh, that would be a good place to catch up as well.
0: Um, so we move up shall, shall we shall we cycle through the news
1: let's do the news as ever i know you've been trolling the internet for the latest news the latest gossip what have you got and i know it's a quiet week this week
0: it's a quiet week but we've got a packed show because we've got a few things to talk about at the back end of the show this week haven't we
1: we've actually got some reviews in this show yeah
0: so this week with the news i mean beijing is closed down again
1: well which was an inevitability i i i, I think and uh uh i've talked about it my my worries what's going to happen here but carry on
0: yeah with beijing being closed down obviously that's the cinema aspect of beijing not reopening which might also have an impact across the whole of china which might have a roll-on effect around the world we don't know at this point in time but beijing is closed u.s cinemas are all opening but with face masks as compulsory which is uh provoked very different responses, depending on which end of the scale you want to look at. Some people think it's a great idea. Other people think that it's absolutely atrocious and how are you supposed to eat your popcorn? Because that's the most important thing when you're watching a film. And Cineworld are being threatened with legal action. Why? Remember that they were going to be buying out the Canadian cinema chain.
1: That's right. Yeah, we talked about several episodes ago, didn't we?
0: And then they decided they weren't going to buy it out. Well, the the Canadian cinema chain are under the impression that it had already been agreed on at a set price per share. And Cineworld have broken that agreement, and so they're threatening to take them legal action oh. for them not paying them that money.
1: Everything like that's always above my pay grade. Um, the,
0: the, yeah, this has been a bad year for Cineworld. We've reported a few times on like the problems that they're having through the investments that they've made and like the impact of the corona lockdown, etc. And this is just yet another issue on their table. At, they're going to be a completely different company by the end of this year at this rate, uh, but it's it's worrying because they are an industry giant.
1: Well, they're the biggest, the biggest cinema chain in the UK, aren't they?
0: Yeah, and if they end up suffering, it will have an imp- impact across at least the UK, but because they also own one of the biggest cinema chains in the US, it could have an impact across there. It's It's a bad time for the cinema industry when there's so many different things threatening it from every side. let's move on to some joyous news just
1: on just before we do that have you got an announcement yet on dates when the cinema is going to be open or can you say at this stage
0: we've not got a set date yet because we're we're reacting to industry movements Uh, as a smaller chain we can afford to be a bit a bit more cautious and not rush into things because if mulan doesn't open at the end of july if tenet shifts further back that will obviously impact on the industry and all, like, I know that a few of the cinema chains in the UK have already announced the specific dates that they're going to open. If they don't have those big films, that's going to affect them financially. So we're being a bit more cautious. We're expecting to get an announcement within the next week. We know, I know that I'm going back to work because we need to set things back up. But we don't, I don't have a set date yet for the public.
1: will keep us posters. So what's your good news, Andy?
0: So all the, all the good news. There's um, productions ramping up again on a lot of films. That is good and news. And a lot of productions. Being a... We've got The Witcher uh, Netflix TV series season two. That's due to start. I still shooting.
1: not watched season one yet. Have you?
0: To be honest with you, I tried, and I got like up to the third episode and just gave up. Right. I wasn't feeling it. Okay. And I, I mean, I was never a huge fan of the games. Never played the games. And I watched the series hoping that it'd be something different than what the games was. But there was moments in the in the opening episode that you could pretty much see it pop up. It might as well just popped up, press square, press square, press triangle, press square, press X on some of the fight scenes because it seemed like it was aiming towards the video game audience. Right. It didn't grab me. I might give it another shot and just because sometimes a show does struggle on the first series. And some people thought that my problem with it was because it, it plays things from different timelines. It plays things out of sequence. But that's not an issue. There's plenty of films that do that that I'm more than happy with.
1: We're kind of used to it now. It's it there was a time when we used to watch things that were non-linear and we'd feel confused, but but most series now have have moments of non-linear storytelling. You know, Lost yeah. was was the series that perpetuated that on a weekly basis
0: and utilized it to great effect when it did its um jump sideways. Yes i mean that that whole season that those clues within that season as well that like even, even i picked up on but didn't quite put together things like the types of phones that they were using and i was like hang on a minute have they, have they put the wrong props in because that's a modern phone and it shouldn't really be and then it once the reveal came i was like oh i should have clicked <laughs> it, well just
1: while you mentioned that andy do you think do you think uh the year 2020 is a jump sideways and uh
0: Oh, I think we're in an episode of the Twilight Zone.
1: All oh, um, right. That's good. I was just checking. it wasn't just
0: <laughs> This this is not real. Not none of this is real. It's
1: a Black Mirror episode. We're agreed.
0: <laughs> um but yeah, so we got The Witcher as starts production. We've already reported on Avatar started up. Yeah, they started. Uh, Batman anyway. is due is due to go before the cameras again. Um so the whole industry is ramping itself back up. It is getting back on its feet. So despite the doom and gloom that I've said about, like, the cinema industry is struggling, etc., there's a lot of things going to be coming out next year which will hopefully really start to... We'll start to see the footfalls rise again because the rest of this year is just a write-off.
1: Good news. It is good news. and um... Even
0: if cinemas are open, they're not going to be able to run at full capacity. And so we have to just write off this year and just say it's going to be a loss across the industry. But next year is when we should hopefully be getting back to normal. And there's a lot of product coming from it.
1: Okay, what else have you got for us?
0: Sadly, <laughs> one of those bits of product that will be coming in the next few years, apparently, is a third Mamma Mia film.
1: Yes, well, now there you go with a, with something that I have zero interest in. I got, I got forced <laughs> to watch uh, Mamma Mia. It was against my will. I promised I would do it because uh, I'm loving and attentive. Um, <laughs> and I didn't get it. I was never an ABBA fan. You know, I know the plaudits that they get. So um, the, that was the first, shall we say, falling down spot for me, not being a fan of the music. Didn't really get them. But, hey, it's not aimed at me. And I'm very well aware that as a as a, as a a guy, you know, I'm not the target market. But they clearly yeah. have a strong target market. And there's money in those hills if you're going to go for a they third, do, third
0: He adores them. Does he? Oh, Yes. He's a a big fan and he's really excited at this third film. Universal are planning a third film and are trying to claim that it was always intended to be a a trilogy. As
1: most things are now.
0: This stage show that was just a a stage show that was adapted to film was always intended to be a trilogy. Really? Anyway. Um, Warners are also working with Spotify at the moment to bring the characters from the DC to the platform in what Many reports are describing as scripted audio podcasts. But that's what us people in the real world who are older than the internet refer to as <laughs> audio dramas, which have been around since ooh, the early 20th century. Yeah,
1: and, and it's already been done. Actually, there's a a, a Black Widow one coming out with for, for Marvel and a Jessica Jones one, which is... Uh, I mean, we've which
0: already is, had the excellent Marvel's um, audio drama. I'm not going to say much. any more
1: to that because that's going to be my neat thing.
0: <laughs> but yeah, so DC characters are going to be getting all of their um, characters given some nice audio dramas. I'm quite excited for this.
1: Yeah, the, yeah, I, I love it. You know, I, the one thing I've actually missed is is having a chance to go out into the car, um, being on my own and going somewhere and, and and putting putting a podcast on. It's not quite the same. I don't get just being sat in the house and doing it. I like to be doing something while I'm listening to a podcast. Uh, but but. For, for definitely for an audio drama, being in the car, being self-contained, where I can listen and 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 take it in and absorb it. Um, when things get back to normal, I've I've got a lot of catching up to do.
0: Uh, we spoke about our love of Michael Mann a few episodes ago. We did indeed. One of these films that he's had in development for a long time is his proposed biopic of Enzo Ferrari.
1: Right, because he's also been talking about doing a prequel to Heat as well, hasn't he?
0: Yeah, I mean, that, that when we last spoke about him, we were talking about like the heat prequel and like spin offs and things like that that he was doing. But his Enzo Ferrari one, he's had on the back burner for over a decade now. And he's finally ready to start shooting early next year. He has Hugh Jackman in line to star.
1: Or was a solid leading man?
0: Um, the film is going to be set during the summer of 1957, which was at a time when Ferrari was close to going bankrupt. And in his personal life, his marriage was falling apart and his son had died. So it it will be capturing that aspect of like the Ferrari that we all know of the racing cars struggling and seeing how internally he was falling apart as well. And it all leads up to one race that changes everything.
1: Great. Sounds like the perfect sports story.
0: I, I can't wait to see what it does. I can't wait to see what he does with like a racing scene. But he's, he's a very good character developing kind of director and it's an interesting topic to look at
1: yeah well you'd often forget that he did the did the Ali biopic it it seems out of his usual sort of stable of movies but yeah that that was a an, an excellent biopic and did it very very interestingly
0: and on a similar note to the Ali biopic another boxer whose biopic has been long in development
1: did you just do a segue then
0: I did that was quite a good segue I'm quite proud of myself with that one Uh, We've got the Mike Tyson biopic, which has been about almost 20 years in development. Jamie Foxx has been confirming that it is now gearing up for a start to production.
1: And apparently he's putting the weight on Ready to Play Tyson.
0: Yeah, there's been some photos that he's been releasing through social media channels showing him bulking up, and he's, he's ready to get going. As he's been saying, he's like, doing biographies is a tough thing. Sometimes it takes 20 years to get them done but we officially get the real ball rolling. We we want to show everybody evolves. I think when we lay the layer of Mike Tyson in the story, I think everybody from young and old will be able to understand this man's journey. Tyson's got an interesting life.
1: He has. I mean, I was in the States when he was just everywhere and he was a a national hero. And then I was also in the States. Probably it didn't affect us as much over here when he was considered to be a disgrace. And, you know, there's a lot. He's,
0: He's gone from ups and downs. He's gone to being like... Like you say, a hero, a disgrace. He's been a joke. He's been the butt of jokes. And then he's embraced the joke when it came to the Hangover films. Yeah. he's it's He's got a compelling story to be told. And Jamie Foxx is a great actor to put into that role.
1: Indeed. I know we're looking forward very much to the uh, Bill & Ted film. We, I know there's been some change on dates. If you are giddy, as we are for Bill & Ted, you might be interested to know that Boom Studios are publishing a prequel Bill & Ted Face the Music comic. Yep. It's written and drawn by Evan Dorkin. Now, if you were a big Marvel fan, Marvel did a, a Bill and Ted run after Bogus Journey, which was absolutely fantastic. In some ways, as good, of as if not uh, uh, better than the movies themselves. This was a comic book series that was sillier, funny, as funny. It was heartwarming. Captured Bill and Ted perfectly. Uh, and that was Evan Dorkin. It's been reprinted a couple of times. Um, yeah
0: boom themselves reprinted it recently didn't they
1: that's right yeah so you, you can get hold of them anyway if you're a big fan you're looking forward to it i did say that boom are, are publishing it. it's in fact it's dark horse um they, they're going to run uh a, a prequel to to bill and ted uh face the music called bill and ted are doomed can't wait for that
0: Candyman. don't say it more than once
1: because you'll freak me out
0: not not say it into a mirror they have recently released an animated short which tells the backstory of the Candyman character, which they kind and of touched on in
1: Candyman too, didn't they?
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. We've we've heard the backstory told because it's it's a legendary tale which which led to him being this, you know, mi- mythical figure filled with bees who goes around with a hook on his hands and kills people. But there's a horrific backstory to the character, which. The animated version that they released is done with um, paper and shadow animation. Very interesting. Offering a really beautiful way of telling the story. And it's keeping the same story of the character from the original mythology of it, which was that he was a black slave who fell in love with a white slave owner's girl and then was hunted down, tortured, covered with bees, stung to death, etc, etc, etc. A horrific tale to give like some reason for why this character became what it was and it's resulted with them releasing this animated bit of some people who claim to be huge fans of the the series of films saying that they're refusing to watch this one because it looks like it's going to be some woke social justice warrior agenda kind of film and they'll stick with the original the one which had the same backstory for the character.
1: Yeah, because it's all explained in Candyman 2.
0: (laughs) What a bizarre world we live in that you can't even do an authentic remake of a film in exactly the same manner without people thinking that the original film didn't have that aspect. Check it out. Go onto YouTube and just do a search for it and watch that short animation. It's a beautiful piece of animation.
1: I'll be doing that when we finish this this recording, in fact, sir.
0: And on a similar note, um, that rights to Hellraiser could be reverting back to Clive Barker.
1: Because they went downhill very, very quickly. Now, uh, I'm going to be really honest. I was never a fan of Hellraiser. Loved the concept behind it and loved the style. Hated the fact, especially with the first movie, that it was it was clearly set in England, but it was pretending to be the U.S. It was all over the place. It was the visual style that was more memorable than the movie. So, for me, that's one film that that does deserve to a, a reinterpretation, let alone a, a reboot, and and just to just to see it in a way that that now it's back in Clive Barker's hands, it could be done properly.
0: Well, this is something that he's been trying to get back the rights to for ages, but it's it's been stuck in one of those systems where as long as the studio releases something to do with the property every so many years, then it never reverts back. Well, now he's legally pushing for them to be allowed to do one more thing by the end of 2021. And then he gets it back anyway. And If he gets it back, he only gets the rights to everything that was created from the first book and the first film. He doesn't get the rights to anything that was added to mythology from the second film onwards because it was out of his hands by that point. Which, part of me thinks that's a shame because I think that the second film in particular introduced some great mythology to the series. But It'd be interesting if he does get it back for him to reboot the series and create a whole new mythos of who the Cenobites are and where they came from.
1: And not take them into space.
0: And not take them into space. And it means that, you know, when when the series does get rebooted, it won't just be directly copying what we already know because it has to tell a different story.
1: I'm up for that, as I said. I liked the mythology. I liked the mythos. I thought, certainly the first film, just, just disappointed me because of... of, of what was clearly budgetary, yeah. and tried to to appeal to an American audience when it was clearly set in Liverpool. But that's just yeah. me.
0: Edgar Wright has signed on to direct The Chain, adapted from Adrian McKinty's book in which a woman whose 11-year-old daughter is kidnapped and is told the only way she can get a daughter back is to kidnap another child, who will then only be released if their parents kidnap another child, etc., etc., etc.
1: Now, he's working for the first time with another scriptwriter, isn't he? I know he's co-written. Yeah. But on this particular project, it's uh, Jen Goldman who's coming in to write the script on this. I'm not familiar with the novel, but I do like the concept. And it's one of those that uh, it'd be nice to see Edgar Wright sort of push himself out of out of the stylistic boundaries that he set himself to a degree. I know people talk about Baby Driver being a, an exceptional piece of work, but it was very, very Edgar Wright. I would now like to yeah. see him tackle something that that pushed him. That
0: It's sort of a bit darker and a bit, you know, he's, he's generally known for his, his witty and, yeah, his fun-packed kind of films. This is one that I can't really see how you can rope some comedy out of this kind of concept. So it will be great to see him, like you say, challenge himself a bit.
1: Yeah, I'll be up for that.
0: On the comedy front, we've got a sci-fi comedy called The Alpha Gang.
1: I've seen this muted around the production uh, uh, The production news. It's great casting, by the looks of it. A
0: group a group of aliens hell-bent on conquering Earth without mercy catch the human disease of emotion. And the cast, like you say, great casting. You've got John Hamm, Nicholas Holt, Andrea Risborough, Charlotte Gainsborough, Muscle of the butters, Mackenzie Davis, Sophia Boutella, and Stephen Nguyen. Great names. We've got David and Nathan Zellner, who... Directed damsel they're directing it and it's david zellner who's wrote the script shooting set to start early 2021 on that with that kind of lineup of cast i'm on board yeah a good ensemble comedy yeah a, a good ensemble comedy tends to work
1: sci-fi comedy not always a, a great mix for every red dwarf you get a space force which was blisteringly disappointing And also the concept, to be honest, is very, very similar to a a series that I worked on where I was brought in as a script doctor. Um, I'm not going to say any more, but it's quite remarkably very, very close to that. But I'm looking forward to it because, as I said, it's a great cast.
0: Sticking with space, we've touched on it before, but there wasn't a lot of news then. The Andy Weir novel that is yet to be released... That is called Project Hail Mary, that had already been greenlit for a film with Ryan Gosling. It's now looking to score the screenwriter of The Martian, Drew Goddard, to adapt the story for the film.
1: I like Drew Goddard as a writer, and he came up through sort of the Joss Whedon verse,
0: yeah. Uh, with I mean, Buffy, Cabin in the Woods,
1: is a and Cabin in the Woods perfect. is fantastic, highly underrated film, and that was his directorial debut. And of course, he he launched Daredevil for. For Marvel Netflix, he
0: did yes. The story we now know centres on an astronaut who wakes up to find himself a million miles away from home, with two dead crewmates for company and no memory of who he is or what he's doing. But he finds pretty swiftly that he's apparently the only hope for mankind against an extinction level event.
1: I was always hoping that would be me, <laughs> but clearly, clearly not.
0: <laughs> no, it's Flash Gordon normally. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Lord and Miller, as we've reported before, are online to direct it. Ryan Gosling. Like leading a film, another great name, Andrew goddard writing the story. This is this has got this has got success all over yeah. it, hasn't it?
1: I think you think it sounds a great concept as well. Let's hope you're not disappointed. Is that it for the news? We've got anything else?
0: That's it. That's it for the news this week.
1: So that's the news, and for the first time, I can't remember what the last thing we was we. we we reviewed but you've got a review for us
0: yes um i've got a rather fascinating documentary and um, called never be done the richard glenn Lett story
2: so what are we getting into tonight here well i've been blacklisted from this place um actually i told him that it's blacklisted for me and that's sort of the case right <laughs> Explain why I can't do a set here. No, I'm never. But eventually we're going to be kicked out. He's been banned from lots of rooms. So. Oh
0: hey. Uh, yeah. uh,
2: yeah. It's the mating call of a cougar. <laughs> it was only a few months ago. I, I toured from St. John's, Newfoundland, all the way to Tofino. I was, you know, like it was. I was on the top of my game. I thought, just uh, you know, a couple of months ago, and now here I am. New Year's Eve, I'm, you know, falling asleep on a couch with a, you know surrounded by other homeless addicts. What's
0: going on around here? So what are you guys up to over here? I'm
2: trying to get my damaged clothes back. I was thinking about this Roy, that my first counselor's name was Roy as well, an old retired United Church minister. And he said to me way, way back, are you ready to accept that if you find the peace you're looking for, you might lose your livelihood. I've made some big mistakes. Well, I acquired all this stuff, but then I lost my job and my home. And I realize it's in everybody's way, and this represents me. And I realize that I'm a problem for a lot of people, and I'm it's trying not to
1: easy. solve that.
0: You, you said that
2: you I'm going into treatment January 10th for three months. I don't want to be that hard, badass, edgy, dark, notorious Richard Led.
0: It's not fun for me anymore. Now, are you are you aware of the stand-up comic Richard Lett?
1: I do. I know the name. If you were to uh, put me on the spot and say, "Do I know his material?" then I would have to say no. But I do know the name.
0: He was. He basically went through. I mean, I I recall seeing him on a few things, a few stand-up performances, etc. In like 2005 to 2009 kind of period, and it was one of these very abrasive and provocative kind of com- comics—a really like an- angry kind of show, but also like some really good wit and some like bizarre songs, which a lot of stand-up comics were kind of doing around that period. Well, this documentary starts back in 2009, and it's one of those documentaries that is so perfect. In the way that it was timed to start, just as everything starts to go wrong. You know how, like, a documentary, so some documentaries seem so engineered to show all the light things. Yeah. This one isn't. This is a very, very, like, intense ride that you get took on. It starts at, when, when he's more or less at his peak of his career, but he's also at the peak of his alcoholism. And over the course of the documentary, we see him battle with cancer, you see him get more and more addicted to alcohol and drugs starts to push everyone away from him. The audiences he becomes more provocative with when someone gives heckles him, instead of just heckling back or just giving a witty retort, he gets very confrontational with them. He gets kicked out of the clubs that he used to play at. They don't want to work with him anymore because he antagonises people and crowds don't want to see him. And his whole life starts to fall apart and he starts to push away his family, his friends. And then there's a there's a point in the whole documentary when you actually think that he's going to turn around and have a go at the documentary crew, he's ready to lash out at them and he pushes them away and he loses everything. This is a guy who literally ends up on the streets. He sleeps in his car, has nowhere to call home and then just goes missing.
1: What you always need with a good documentary is is you need access, access to to the to the subject and access to the people around them. And it sounds from what you're saying, this film's managed to do that and and therefore gives you some amazing insights into into, into the subject.
0: Yeah, the, the documentary maker, Roy Tai, this is his first actual project. And to have your first project being what he intended to be just a, a look at this stand-up comic who he had a lot of love for, and to see such a self-destruction take place on film, you can't write it when it happens like this, this couldn't have been planned at all for this documentary to take the route that it took. And in taking this route, in showing this whole life spiraling down into destruction, it's just, you, within the first five minutes of the film, regardless of what you know about Richard Lett or not, regardless whether you know him, you're already caught up in his life and you can't help but get drawn down with him. His daughter is the one person in his life who gives him a reason to turn himself around at around in the film daughter's always been that one shining thing in his life and she has a great quote in the film of you have to hit rock bottom before you can reclaim who you are and that sums up what this film is because the back end of the film then jumps six years later when the documentary crew go to catch up with Richard Lett and find a completely different man a man who's got himself back on track as well as his addictions to drugs and alcohol it seems that he was also addicted to just being a bit of a dick on stage he was addicted to being th- seen as a bad guy
1: and that's the character the persona that that takes over his life I'm assuming
0: yeah I mean he, he's he's got his career back on track and after watching this documentary I went online to look at some of his more recent stand-up materials that are being uploaded onto YouTube etc and seeing how his styles changed and he It's a fascinating documentary. It really is one of those powerful journeys captured in brutal intimacy by the camera that couldn't have been scripted and that was just pure chance that they were filming at the time that his life was falling apart. And to see someone exposed, warts and all, and it's a harrowing journey that he goes on. I can't recommend this documentary enough. It is a really, really compelling documentary. If you don't know who Richard Glenlett is... By the end of this film, you will want to find out more about him.
1: And how do we get to see this film?
0: So this is available on streaming services to be purchased at the moment or rented. And it's called Never Be Done, The Richard Glenn Lett Story. If you do a search online, you'll be able to find the various services, um, Apple, etc., which you can obtain the film from. Fantastic.
1: And it's good to have a review again, because as you know, over the last couple of weeks, with uh, our lack of, of cinema entry, we've not been really reviewing stuff. So we've done a couple of things. One is we've taken a deep dive, which we'll be looking at a deep dive for this week, but we've also been challenging Andy to watch films that for some reason, and I've even called a priest to try and understand why Andy has <laughs> missed. I mean, absolute classics. Um, and I've been setting Andy the challenge, um, uh, to watch something. And Andy this week, we thought we'd go because we did the town last week. Uh, the, uh, the Affleck film. So, I thought we'd go for a comedy, albeit a a very black comedy in 1999's election, directed by Alexander Payne, uh, which was his second film after Citizen Ruth, but before he kind of became the Alexander Payne that we recognise, stars a, a very young Reese Witherspoon and Matthew Broderick. In the nation's capital, a new leader has found a place in the halls of power,
2: but her story began in the halls of high school move on now to the presidential race with three candidates running. The first is Tracy Flick. One thing that's important to know about me is that I'm an only child. My mom is really devoted to me. She likes to write letters to successful women like Elizabeth Dole and Connie Chung and ask them what advice do they have for me, Tracy, her daughter. The next candidate for student body president is Paul Metzler. I just don't think somebody would do something like that on purpose. I think you did it. And if you want to keep questioning me like this, I won't continue without my attorney present. I do not often speak with you and ask for things. But now I really must insist that you help me win the election tomorrow because I deserve it and Paul Metzler doesn't, as you well know. The final candidate, sophomore Tammy Metzler.
0: I'm attracted to the person. It's just that all the people
2: I've ever been attracted to happen to be girls. You should stop her. She's not qualified. We can't both run, can we? I mean, we're brother and sister, can we?
0: Tracy and I are totally in love. In love?
2: Yeah. So is this a moral situation or an ethical situation? When I win the presidency, that means you and I are going to be spending a lot of time together. <laughs> Cast your vote for Tracy Flick next week. You won't just be voting for me. You will be voting for yourself. Who knew how high she would climb in life? I had to stop her. Excuse me! Will you please be quiet? Now. Paramount Pictures presents an MTV Films production. Order! Order! Starring Matthew Broderick, Reese Witherspoon. Hey, what happened to your eye? What happened to your eye? Are you okay, Mr. McAllister? I'm fine. On the road to greatness. Never underestimate an overachiever. Looks like you could use a cupcake. Election.
1: Cast your vote. But don't vote at all! Uh, this was an MTV production, if I if I remember correctly.
0: Yep, seeing the MTV logo pop up at the beginning of it brought back a lot of strange memories. <laughs> when they
1: used to be a music channel. What are they now? Are I, those... don't um, I don't so, know. So, Andy, what were your thoughts on Election? I remember, I've only seen this once, and I really liked it when I saw it in the cinema. But you tell me, what did you think to it?
0: It's, it's quite a delicious, um, dark satire of American politics. The film stars Matthew Broderick, who... Is a popular social studies teacher, uh, Jim McAllister. And Reese Witherspoon is Tracy Flick, the perfect pupil who grates out on everyone's nerves. And she's the only person who's in line for the student body president elections coming up. So Jim takes matters into his own hands to manipulate things and enter another candidate. And that starts a spiraling descent of things that play out over the 103 runtime. And it's a it's a gloriously dark comedy. Is, I, that's what I, I remember about it. Loved it. I was chuckling so much. Matthew Broderick is fantastic throughout it. He gets overlooked. I mean, he was great back in the eighties when he kind of kickstarted his career, and like we got in things like Ferris Bueller. Wow! And then he hit like his nineties and he did things like Godzilla, and people went, "Oh, oh, mate!" And that kind of like knocked him back and made people forget how good he could be. And he's marvelous in this film. His looks towards it, like towards Reese Witherspoon as Tracy Flick Expresses utter hatred through and through, without actually being openly hating towards her.
1: As, as a character, she's there's something she's so perfect that she's also she's so annoying, and she's yeah. so clawing. And never really does anything particularly wrong to be disliked as much as she is as a character.
0: But it's a, it's based on a novel by Tom Perotta. The film it, the film is adapted to be sharp, funny, and thoroughly entertaining. Uh, The way that it's presented, there's multiple characters' voiceovers utilised to give a film that uh, I kind of like, it's as though like the events have already took place and everyone's talking about the events that led up to what took place. And right at the start, the way that it starts off saying like, and they never knew where it was going to lead. And you're like, why? What? What went wrong? And the way that it does the voiceovers and each time teasing that something terrible is going to happen and something else is going to happen and something else is going to happen without spoiling what's going to happen. It keeps you engaged and it keeps you just going, but how's he got involved and what, what's going on now? Because all the characters start to come into it. You've got Chris Klein as Paul Metzler, who is the candidate that is pressured into opposing in the elections. And Paul Metzler, everyone will know from the American Pie films. And he plays basically the same kind of jock, brainless character here. Yeah, I wonder what happened Uh, to him. I can't remember what happened to him career-wise. He's still been working, but he's just been on support roles and disappeared into the background. He never really managed to get past his American Pie kind of phase. I don't think many of them did, really, but did they? I
1: I mean, no, not that I... uh, um, The lead, whose name escapes me, the lead actor, went on to be in uh, Orange is a New Black. And yeah. did some Woody Allen stuff. I, I like this film. I think it was that 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 really clever mix of dark humour. It, it's intelligent. It's a film about teenagers, but it's actually a film for adults. And I think yeah. that's why, because when it initially came out, even though it got, got great reviews, and it's now classed as one of the 100 funniest movies of all time, uh, as well as a great high school movie, that it, it didn't find the audience. And it sort of found its audience afterwards. Uh, I think it's witty. I think it's got a it's got a bracing nastiness to it that that makes it makes it appealing. It doesn't go for the for the for the uh, soft soft targets. It really knows where to place a joke, and he could see where uh, Alexander Payne's career went to. And did you know that according to Payne himself, it's uh, President Barack Obama's favorite political film?
0: Yes, I I've heard that. It's a um... And I, yeah, I can quite understand it because it it is, even though it's set within a high school and it's a high school elections, it is a, a look at US politics. Yeah, it's,
1: it's an allegory of, it of, is looking at- of, of, of of the political US system. Uh, and, and by having that multi-layered, by setting it in a school... By, by having the these incredible characters. It's a dark tragedy, but it is extremely, extremely funny at the same time.
0: The casting's great. spoon in quite an early role. I mean, she hadn't really done a lot in the run-up two. No, no, this not film. at all.
1: This was the sort of film that, that brought her into really the public.
0: Really sold her. Yeah, absolutely. She's marvellous, and she is joyfully irritating and sells her part. But Broderick is just a perfect bit of casting because he's, he's a kind of sympathetic character, but with selfish motivations that make him easy to hate at the same time. And casting someone who it is hard to hate, Broderick, it is hard to look at him and think, God, you're a piece of work. So having him cast as someone who is a bit of a piece of work makes you go, oh, but I can kind of understand where you're coming from. And you want to sympathize with him as his whole life starts to fall around through no fault except for his own. Everything that happens to him comes about because of what he does. And so he deserves his downward spiral that he goes through. But it's played in a way that makes you actually want him to come out better at the end of it. Um, it it's not top tier pain. I mean, that award will always go to Sideways for me. Yeah, mine too. Sideways is, I, I can watch that film over and over again. It is such a perfect, perfect character study. But this is a solid, entertaining satire, and it doesn't outstay its welcome. I'm looking forward to going back and revisiting this uh, later down the line. Fantastic. So why do I, uh, where do I take you next week? What kind of a mood are you in? Well, well last week you, you, you gave me this one because you had a choice between two. You had a choice between this and War Horse, but you decided that I'd, I'd watch a lot of heavy things, so... Um, I needed something lighter and this past week I've been watching a lot of lighter entertainment I've watched things like Airplane uh, you know I've been I've been doing some comfort watching so <laughs> I think I'm ready for War Horse. okay shall I do War Horse,
1: War Horse Steven Spielberg's film uh, i would be interested to know what you think about it I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to preempt it in any way but as I said last week I cried like a 11 year old girl <laughs> all the way through it and I want to know if, if that's just me or that's just everybody who's seen the film. So we'll be back next week with Warhorse. So as I said, we've been doing deep dives because we've not been able to do the reviews that we want to bring you. We set ourselves uh, some interesting choices, and I think we are going to sort of go to one of the pinnacles for such an Oscar-winning film as our, our next film, which was One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. What can you tell me about
2: why you've been sent over here. <laughs> they think you've been faking it in order to get out of your work detail. Do I look like that kind of guy to you, Doc?
1: Medication time.
2: Mmm, yummy. Do you want to say something to the group, Mr.
1: McMurphy? Not
2: the thing, Doc. I'm a goddamn marvel of modern science.
1: Wanna watch the ball game, baseball?
2: I only count nine votes, Mr. McMurphy. No, I want that television set turned on! The Chief, ahhhhhhhhh! Oh! immediately! That, that nurse, man. Sit down! He's dangerous. Think you crazy or something well you're not you're
1: not uh, directed by milosh foreman based on the 1962 uh, novel by ken casey the film came out in 1975. film stars jack nicholson as randall murphy a new patient at a mental institution that features supporting cast from the amazing louise fletcher uh, William Redfield, Will Sampson as the chief, very, very young Danny DeVito and Christopher Lloyd, and Brad DeReef. This film has tons and tons of Oscar plaudits when it when it came out. It was one of those which just was, it was a, a a huge success. The film had originally been a Broadway stage show which starred Kirk Douglas in the role of Mike Murphy, but eventually Kirk Douglas, who was trying to get the film made, sold the film rights to his son, Michael, who succeeded in getting the film produced Uh but Douglas, at this point, was uh, too old to play the role. He was nearly 60. So the role went ultimately to Jack Nicholson, who was, at this point, the top of his game. So looking back on One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, uh, it's a film that I've seen many, many times. I've seen the stage production, which, which was amazing. What's it like going back to a moment of, of a kind of a filmmaking that, that doesn't really exist anymore? Where do you think it sits nowadays, Andy? Is it a film that, that a modern audience can can look at again? What was it like revisiting it?
0: Revisiting it, it, it made me love it even more. And I think this is one of those films because the location is within a mental institution. And although institutions have changed a lot over the years, there's still a public perception of what they look like that looks exactly like this film, which I think makes this film feel almost timeless, that you could watch it now and still see the relevance of it today. The the, the casting and the characters that the, play, the cast are playing are all archetypes of mental illness that we're all aware of. And I think in this day and age when we're a lot more aware of mental health and we're a lot more aware of mental health issues, I think there's a lot that people will recognise within each of the characters in here.
1: Yeah, because the film's set in 1963 uh, at a mental health institution which hopefully you would like to think doesn't exist anymore.
0: but yeah, I, I think having the knowledge that you'd like to think that it doesn't exist anymore makes you actually be horrified by some of the activities that go on in there more than what you maybe would have, be, would have done when you were just watching them as an observer without the knowledge of mental health back in the 70s when it got released. There's a lot of things that really make this film stand up and one of them has to be the fact that they actually shot it in a mental institution. They used an actual. Uh, they use the Oregon State. Yeah, including some of the actual cast of nurses and doctors are actual nurses and nurses and doctors from that mental institution. Uh, the Dean R. Brooks, the director of the state hospital, is the director of the state hospital in the film. And apparently, I've, I've read somewhere that during filming, he, he correctly diagnosed William Redfield, one of the cast members, with uh, leukemia during the filming of it, which went on to kill him 18 months later. Having it set in an authentic setting, it was lit authentically as well. There was no manipulations of light, lighting rigs and everything. It was all using natural light through windows. So it feels real. And so it never feels artificial. And you feel like you're in that institution with them. There's, there's so much to love about this film. That The casting, that even the minor cast, which are all, we're all either stage people or new people to film... Are all great, but the, the dual casting of the roles of Nurse Ratched, uh, Louise Fletcher, and McMurphy, played by Jack Nicholson. Who
1: was at the top of his game at this particular point, really.
0: They are both perfect. Uh, the book plays Nurse Ratched, it describes Nurse Ratched as, as a grotesque. She's a real nasty piece of work. She's purely sinister. But casting Louise Fletcher, who's very soft-spoken and very soft-faced a lot of the time, means that you you can kind of see her point of view at at times. And I read an interview with her where she said that she approached the character as though she genuinely cared for the patients, but went about things the wrong way. And you can see that in the performance, that there's moments in the film that you actually go, well, actually, she's only trying to do the best thing for these people, so she's not the bad guy. Because in the book, it's blatantly she's the evil and McMurphy's the good. But they play it in this that both of the the lines are all blurred that look like Nurse Ratched is just misguided and Randall McMurphy is very selfish and at times he cares but other times he's doing things for very selfish reasons and you have to remember that the reason that he's incarcerated in here in the film is statutory rape of a 15-year-old and he doesn't seem to care much that... Um, what he did was illegal.
1: Yeah, because he's not mentally ill at all. He basically makes the choice of of going to this institution as opposed to going to prison.
0: Yeah, so he's, he's trying to manipulate the system and he's trying to do everything selfishly. It's just that he, he grows to like the people who he's alongside at the time. Well, it, it plays beautifully with those two, both playing very grey area characters that... At points, you'll be rooting for either side of this battle, and it is a battle for the souls of the patients.
1: Yeah, they're, they're almost casualties of, of of this bigger war between these these two leading characters. And 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 the interesting thing about this film is that at times it's a comedy, out and out hysterically funny, and then flips a coin into into moments of of, of tragedy that are that become almost profoundly disturbing.
0: The cast apparently more or less lived through the whole shooting. In the institution so they kind of got into routines of what the patients would have been in at the time and they were encouraged to improvise like whenever they could they could throw out if something got thrown out as an idea do it if they think something fits into it and with with you know with names like christopher lloyd william redfield danny devito and scatman crothers of course you're going to get some improvisation going on and uh, Interestingly, um, Scatman Crothers doesn't seem to have a very um, lucky streak when he worked with Jack Nicholson in films. <laughs> <laughs> in this film, he um, he clearly loses his job, and in another film, he gets an axe in the chest. <laughs>
1: yeah, but maybe uh, maybe <laughs> some personal choices he's got to reconsider. Um, I mean, this is a, this is a fantastic film. I mean, it's it's one of those where the plaudits it gained and the Oscar nominations it, it, it had are are justified because on on every level. And you may go back and and have to reassess it because this is a film made in the seventies. But this is what for me seventies filmmaking was all about. It was that uh, you could create grown up films with with grown up issues, use uh, top name cast, and still be a, a, a considered to be a, a huge hit at the box office in a, in a time when you know there were edgy edgy filmmakers doing doing incredible work. That's why the seventies will always be my favorite period for filmmaking but it is it's a tremendous film deserves all the plaudits that he that he got uh, deserves to be recognized i mean i think it's in it's been recognized as being one of the, the greatest films uh in, a, in american film history five big the big five academy awards uh, nicholson won best actress was louise Fletcher best direction best picture best adapted screenplay this is one of those films that that deserves everything that you always hear about. It. If you've not seen One Flow of the Cuckoo's Nest and, and to understand why it is regarded one of the great American films, then you just have to see it. And even now, all these years later, it, it still packs a punch and you forget how great Jack Nicholson was in his heyday.
0: Oh, He's it, absolutely on fire through this film. That's not to take away from the, the scene stealing moments of Danny DeVito, who... To say that he never knows how to play any board games would be an understatement <laughs> uh, Christopher Lloyd is absolutely magnificent. his facial expressions, his whole mannerisms, and he has like one of the closing like facial expressions of like triumphant joy um, after the iconic ending of the chief's final escape, and he cheers him on and gives that one stare of like rah. You've done it. Absolutely marvellous cast. Absolutely brilliant film. And Even though I've seen this film multiple, multiple times, and usually when you've seen a film so many times, when you re-watch it, your mind drifts occasionally. You get distracted because you already know what's going to happen. But every time I put this on, as soon as the film starts, I am in there with them, and I don't look away from the screen, and I'm caught up in the drama. Like you say, it's amusing. It plays quite well for laughs at times. And it doesn't feel forced. It just feels natural comedy. It's a film with hope. It's a film with sorrow. And it's a film which really does cover the whole spectrum of emotions.
1: It's not often we get to say a film is perfect. But then again, we can say this is a perfect film. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest great well that's it for our deep dive and of course uh if you've got any suggestions you want to uh offer any films that we should be looking at then feel free to get in touch with us at
0: film file uk over on twitter
1: okay we're coming to the end of another show and it seems to be now doing this weekly that um i have to find the greatest challenge which is to find my one neat thing and i'm always getting to the stage of going what am i going to talk about uh and we mentioned it earlier on but andy you go first um Tell me about your one neat thing for this week. What have you been watching? What do you like? What have you been listening to? What has been on your top neat thing list?
0: Well, my neat thing for this week comes about because if there's one thing I really hate, it's having adverts forced on you on you on a streaming catch-up service. And so I've not been I've not caught Rick and Morty season four up until this past few days when it dropped on Netflix, or at least. The first five episodes did, because up until now, it's been it was showing on E4 and then on the all four service. And I I absolutely hate anything that forces you to watch adverts five minutes into it. So I've waited and waited until it eventually came to Netflix. And so I've binged the first five episodes. We've got to wait a few more months before we get the next half of the series. But Wow. What a great five five episodes they were, and it reminded me how much I love this show so much that I've gone back to episode one, season one, and I'm starting it all over again.
1: I've I've got to totally agree with you. I I watched it on E4. I'm I'm up to date, and to some extent, I felt it was marred. because I originally like you. I watched it on Netflix, but watch it on E4. I found it to be hard going with with a commercial break, it really threw me out of it. And, and I love Rick and Morty. So I've got to go back. I'm going to watch it again now that it's on, on Netflix. And, and hopefully, not that I didn't enjoy it, it just felt marred
0: watching it on E4. I mean, E4 and the all four service with the adverts. I mean, even Robot Chicken gets adverts, in, adverts embedded in it. Each episode is only 10 minutes long <laughs> and it gets embedded adverts halfway through it. That's That should not happen.
1: My neat thing, and I mentioned it earlier on, and I tried to deflect you from talking about it, and that's been the podcast Marvels. Uh, Based on the Kurt Busiek-Alec Ross series, this has been an adaptation of a a sort. It's not followed the book as closely. It follows basically one section of the book, which is uh, when Galactus uh, comes to the Earth and the Fantastic Four defeat him. It's told through the eyes of Phil Sheldon, who is a, a... a photographer for the Daily Bugle, and it captures the feel of Marvels, which is the best thing about it. And I've gone back and I've reread the book recently. Is this was a, a, a normal people growing up in a world of superheroes and and how they observed it and how they observed the world around them. It was a game changing book. Basically, the the art is just absolutely sumptuous. This, if you know Alex Ross's work, which is all painted and, and incredibly lifelike. This gave you an insight into the Marvel universe that we'd never seen before. The average guy on the streets look at the world around him; hence the term "marvels." They've added a, a plot into into the into the podcast, which but doesn't take away from from the initial idea of of the guys on the streets, uh, and so it becomes much more of a of an exploration of of this one particular incident without getting, giving anything away. Ten episodes of marvels and you will be hooked fantastically played the characterization is, is absolutely spot on i'm absolutely loved it i will go for long walks on my own so i can put my headphones in and listen to it it's it's been an absolute run i've got one episode left episode 10 and i cannot wait to hear it because it has been absolutely fantastic and that's it for this week um another show done uh i'm about to go and have something to eat what are you going to do over the next few days andy anything you're looking forward to
0: uh it's probably just gonna be more film watching i think as i gear up ready for potential return to work next week
1: so that's it for another week we'll see you soon and you can find us on all your favorite platforms and i gotta say i must be crazy to be in a loony bin like this